A Letter to the Romans, Chapter 6 through 11 from the 20th Century New Testament. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. A. Carter, www.authenticlight.org. The Twentieth Century New Testament by a company of about twenty scholars. The Letter to the Romans, Chapter 6 through 11. Chapter 6 What are we to say then? Are we to continue to sin in order that God's loving kindness may be multiplied? Heaven forbid. We became dead to sin, and how can we go on living in it? Or can it be that you do not know that all of us who were baptized into union with Christ Jesus in our baptism shared his death? Consequently, through sharing his death in our baptism, we were buried with him. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by a manifestation of the Father's power, so we also may live a new life. If we have become united with him by the act symbolic of his death, surely we shall also become united with him by the act symbolic of his resurrection. We recognize the truth that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body, the stronghold of sin, might be rendered powerless so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For the man who has so died has been pronounced righteous and released from sin. And our belief is that as we have shared Christ's death, we shall also share his life. We know indeed that Christ, having once risen from the dead, will not die again. Death has power over him no longer. For the death that he died was a death to sin once and for all. But the life that he now lives, he lives for God. So let it be with you. Regard yourselves as dead to sin, but as living for God through union with Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies and compel you to obey its cravings. Do not offer any part of your bodies to sin in the cause of unrighteousness, but once for all offer yourselves to God as those who, though once dead, now have life, and devote every part of your bodies to the cause of righteousness. For sin shall not lord it over you. You are living under the reign not of law, but of love. What follows then? Are we to sin because we are living under the reign of love and not of law? Heaven forbid. Surely you know that when you offer yourselves as servants to obey anyone, you are the servants of the person whom you obey, whether the service be that of sin, which leads to death, or that of duty, which leads to righteousness. God be thanked that though you were once servants of sin, yet you learnt to give hearty obedience to that form of doctrine under which you were placed. Set free from the control of sin, you became servants to righteousness. I can but speak as men do, because of the weakness of your earthly nature. Once you offered every part of your bodies to the service of impurity and of wickedness, which leads to further wickedness, now in the same way offer them to the service of righteousness, which leads to holiness. While you were still servants of sin, you were free as regards righteousness. But what were the fruits that you reap from those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of such things is death. But now that you have been set free from the control of sin and have become servants to God, the fruit that you reap is an ever-increasing holiness, and the end, immortal life. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is immortal life, through union with Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 7 Surely, brothers, you know, for I am speaking to men who know what law means, that law has power over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies she is set free from the law that bound her to him. 
If then, during her husband's lifetime, she unites herself to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, the law has no further hold on her, nor, if she unites herself to another man, is she an adulteress. And so with you, my brothers. As far as the law was concerned, you underwent death in the crucified body of the Christ, so that you might be united to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that our lives might bear fruit for God. When we were living merely earthly lives, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were active in every part of our bodies, with the result that our lives bore fruit for death. But now we are set free from the law, because we are dead to that which once kept us under restraint, and so we serve under new, spiritual conditions, and not under old, written regulations. What are we to say then? That law and sin are the same thing? Heaven forbid. On the contrary, I should not have learnt what sin is, had not it been for the law. If the law did not say, Thou shalt not covet, I should not know what it is to covet. But sin took advantage of the commandment to arouse in me every form of covetousness, for where there is no consciousness of law, sin shows no sign of life. There was a time when I myself, unconscious of law, was alive. But when the commandment was brought home to me, sin sprang into life, while I died. The very commandment that should have meant life, I found to result in death. Sin took advantage of the commandment to deceive me, and used it to bring about my death. And so the law is holy, and each commandment is also holy and just and good. Did then a thing which in itself was good involve death in my case? Heaven forbid! It was sin that involved death, so that by its use of what I regarded as good to bring about my death, its true nature might appear, and in this way the commandment showed how intensely sinful sin is. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am earthly, sold into slavery to sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I am so far from habitually doing what I want to do that I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. But when I do what I want not to do, I am admitting that the law is right. This being so, the action is no longer my own, but that of sin which is within me. I know that there is nothing good in me, I mean in my earthly nature, for although it is easy for me to want to do right, to act rightly is not easy. I fail to do the good thing that I want to do, but the bad thing that I want not to do, that I habitually do. But when I do the very thing that I want not to do, the action is no longer my own, but that of sin which is within me. This, then, is the law that I find. When I want to do right, wrong presents itself. At heart I delight in the law of God, but throughout my body I see a different law, one which is in conflict with the law accepted by my reason, and which endeavors to make me a prisoner to that law of sin which exists throughout my body. Miserable man that I am! Who will deliver me from the body that is bringing me to this death? Thank God there is deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, for myself, with my reason, I serve the law of God, but with my earthly nature, the law of sin. Chapter 8 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. For through your union with Christ Jesus, the law of the life-giving Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. What law could not do, in so far as our earthly nature weakened its action, God did, by sending his own Son, with a nature resembling our sinful nature, to atone for sin. 
he condemned sin in that earthly nature so that the requirements of the law might be satisfied in us who live now in obedience not to our earthly nature but to the spirit they who follow their earthly nature are earthly minded while they who follow the spirit are spiritually minded to be earthly minded means death to be spiritually minded means life and peace because to be earthly minded is to be an enemy to god for such a mind does not submit to the law of god nor indeed can it do so they who are earthly cannot please god you however are not earthly but spiritual since the spirit of god lives within you unless a man has the spirit of christ he does not belong to christ but if christ is within you then though the body is dead as a consequence of sin the spirit is life as a consequence of righteousness and if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead lives within you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will give life even to your mortal bodies through his spirit living within you so then brothers we owe nothing to our earthly nature that we should live in obedience to it if you live in obedience to your earthly nature you will inevitably die but if by the power of the spirit you put an end to the evil habits of the body you will live all who are guided by the spirit of god are sons of god for you did not receive the spirit of a slave to fill you once more with fear but the spirit of a son who leads us to cry abba our father the spirit himself unites with our spirits in bearing witness to our being god's children and if children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ since we share christ's sufferings in order that we may also share his glory i do not count the sufferings of our present life worthy to mention when compared with the glory that is to be revealed and bestowed upon us all nature awaits with eager expectation the appearing of the sons of god for nature was made subject to imperfection not by its own choice but owing to him who made it so yet not without the hope that some day nature also will be set free from the enslavement to decay and will attain to the freedom which will mark the glory of the children of god we know indeed that all nature alike has been groaning in the pains of labor to this very hour and not nature only but we ourselves also though we have already a first gift of the spirit we ourselves are inwardly groaning while we eagerly await our full adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies by our hope we were saved but the thing hoped for is no longer an object of hope when it is before our eyes for who hopes for what is before his eyes but when we hope for what is not before our eyes then we wait for it with patience so also the spirit supports us in our weakness we do not even know how to pray as we should but the spirit himself pleads for us in sighs that can find no utterance yet he who searches all our hearts knows what the spirit's meaning is because the pleadings of the spirit for christ's people are in accordance with his will but we do know that god causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him those who have received the call in accordance with his purpose for those whom god chose from the first he also destined from the first to be transformed into the likeness of his son so that his son might be the eldest among many brothers and those whom god destined for this he also called and those whom he called he also pronounced righteous and those whom he pronounced righteous he also brought to glory what are we to say then in the light of all this if god is on our side who can there be against us god did not withhold his own son but gave him up on behalf of us all will he not then with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against any of god's people 
He who pronounces them righteous is God. Who is there to condemn them? He who died for us is Christ Jesus, or rather it was he who was raised from the dead and who is now at God's right hand and is even pleading on our behalf. Who is there to separate us from the love of the Christ? Will trouble, or difficulty, or persecution, or hunger, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? Scripture says, For thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Yet amidst all these things we more than conquer through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor archangels, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 9 I am speaking the truth as one in union with Christ. It is no lie and my conscience, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, bears me out when I say that there is a great weight of sorrow upon me, and that my heart is never free from pain. I could wish that I were myself accursed and severed from the Christ for the sake of my brothers, my own countrymen. For they are Israelites, and theirs are the adoption as sons, the visible presence, the covenants, the revealed law, the temple worship, and the promises. They are descended from the patriarchs, and as far as his human nature was concerned, from them came the Christ, who is supreme over all things, God for ever blessed. Amen. Not that God's word has failed, for it is not all who are descended from Israel who are true Israelites, nor because they are Abraham's descendants are they all his children, but it is Isaac's children who will be called thy descendants. This means that it is not the children born in the course of nature who are God's children, but it is the children born in fulfillment of the promise who are to be regarded as Abraham's descendants. For these words are the words of a promise. About this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Nor is that all. There is also the case of Rebekah, when she was about to bear children to our ancestor Isaac. For in order that the purpose of God working through selection might not fail, a selection depending not on obedience but on his call, Rebekah was told, before her children were born, and before they had done anything, either right or wrong, that the elder should be a servant to the younger. The words of Scripture are, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. What are we to say, then? Is God guilty of injustice? Heaven forbid. For his words to Moses are, I will take pity on whom I take pity, and be merciful to whom I am merciful. So then all depends not on human wishes or human efforts, but on God's mercy. In Scripture again it is said to Pharaoh, It was for this very purpose that I raised thee to the throne, to show my power by my dealings with thee, and to make my name known throughout the world. So then, where God wills, he takes pity, and where he wills, he hardens the heart. Perhaps you will say to me, How can anyone still be blamed? For who withstands his purpose? I might rather ask, Who are you who are arguing with God? Does a thing which a man has moulded say to him who has moulded it, Why did you make me like this? Has not the potter absolute power over his clay, so that out of the same lump he makes one thing for better and another for common use? And what if God, intending to reveal his displeasure and make his power known, bore most patiently with the objects of his displeasure, though they were fit only to be destroyed? so as to make known his surpassing glory in dealing with the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared beforehand for glory, and whom he called, even us, not only from among the Jews, but from among the Gentiles also. This indeed is what he says in the book of Hosea. 
I will call those people who were not my people, and her my beloved who was not beloved, and in the very place where it was said to them, Ye are not my people, they shall be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries aloud over Israel, Though the sons of Israel are like the sands of the sea in number, only a remnant of them shall escape, for the Lord will execute his sentence upon the world, fully and without delay. It is as Isaiah foretold. Had not the Lord of hosts spared some few of our race to us, we should have become like Sodom, and been made to resemble Gomorrah. What are we to say, then? Why, that Gentiles, who were not in search of righteousness, secured it, a righteousness which was the result of faith, while Israel, which was in search of a law which would ensure righteousness, failed to discover one. And why? Because they looked to obedience and not to faith to secure it. They stumbled over the stumbling block. As Scripture says, See, I place a stumbling block in Zion, a rock which shall prove a hindrance, and he who believes in him shall have no cause for shame. Chapter 10 Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for my people is for their salvation. I can testify that they are zealous for the honor of God, but they are not guided by true insight, for in their ignorance of the divine righteousness, and in their eagerness to set up a righteousness of their own, they refuse to accept with submission the divine righteousness. For Christ has brought law to an end, so that righteousness may be obtained by everyone who believes in him. For Moses writes that as for the righteousness which results from law, those who practice it will find life through it. But the righteousness which results from faith finds expression in these words. Do not say to yourself, Who will go up into heaven? Which means to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the depths below? Which means to bring Christ up from the dead. No, but what does it say? The message is near thee. It is on thy lips and in thy heart. Which means the message of faith, which we proclaim. For if with your lips you acknowledge the truth of the message that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with their hearts men believe and so attain to righteousness, while with their lips they make their profession of faith, and so find salvation. As the passage of Scripture says, No one who believes in him shall have any cause for shame. For no distinction is made between the Jew and the Greek, for all have the same Lord, and he is bountiful to all who invoke him. For every one who invokes the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how, it may be asked, are they to invoke one in whom they have not learnt to believe? And how are they to believe in one whose words they have not heard? And how are they to hear his words unless someone proclaims him? And how are men to proclaim him unless they are sent as his messengers? As Scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news! Still, it may be said, every one did not give heed to the good news. No, for Isaiah asks, Lord, who has believed our teaching? And so we gather, faith is a result of teaching, and the teaching comes in the message of Christ. But I ask, is it possible that men have never heard? No, indeed. Their voices spread through all the earth, and their message to the very ends of the world. But again I ask, did not the people of Israel understand? First there is Moses, who says, I, the Lord, will stir you to rivalry with a nation which is no nation. Against an undiscerning nation I will arouse your anger. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found by those who were not seeking me. I made myself known to those who were not inquiring of me. But of the people of Israel, he says, 
All day long I have stretched out my hands to a people who disobey and contradict. Chapter 11 I ask, then, has God rejected his people? Heaven forbid, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he chose from the first. Have you forgotten the words of Scripture in the story of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have pulled down thy altars, and I only am left, and now they are eager to take my life. But what was the divine response? I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have never bowed the knee to Baal. And so in our own time, too, there is to be found a remnant of our nation, selected by God in love. But if in love, then no longer as a result of obedience. Otherwise love would cease to be love. What follows from this? Why, that Israel, as a nation, failed to secure what it was seeking, while those whom God selected did secure it. The rest grew callous, as Scripture says. God has given them a deadness of mind, eyes that are not to see and ears that are not to hear, and it is so to this very day. David, too, says, May their feasts prove a snare and a trap to them, a hindrance and a retribution. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and do thou always make their backs to bend. I ask, then, was their stumbling to result in their fall? Heaven forbid. On the contrary, through their falling away, salvation has reached the Gentiles to stir the rivalry of Israel. And if their falling away has enriched the world, and their failure has enriched the Gentiles, how much more will result from their full restoration? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Being myself an apostle to the Gentiles, I exalt my office in the hope that I may stir my countrymen to rivalry, and so save some of them. For if their being cast aside has meant the reconciliation of the world, what will their reception mean but life from the dead? If the first handful of dough is holy, so is the whole mass, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Some, however, of the branches were broken off, and you, who were only a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and came to share with them the root which is the source of the richness of the cultivated olive. Yet do not exalt over the other branches. But if you do exalt over them, remember that you do not support the root, but that the root supports you. But branches, you will say, were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True, it was because of their want of faith that they were broken off, and it is because of your faith that you are standing. Do not think too highly of yourself, but beware. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. See, then, both the goodness and the severity of God, his severity toward those who fell, and his goodness toward you, provided that you continue to confide in that goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. And they too, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has it in his power to graft them in again. If you were cut off from your natural stock, a wild olive, and were grafted contrary to the course of nature upon a good olive, much more will they, the natural branches, be grafted back into their parent tree. Brothers, for fear that you should think too highly of yourselves, I want you to recognize the truth, hitherto hidden, that the callousness which has come over Israel is only partial, and will continue only till the whole Gentile world has been gathered in. And then all Israel shall be saved. As Scripture says, From Zion will come the Deliverer, 
You will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and they shall see the fulfillment of my covenant when I have taken away their sins. From the standpoint of the good news, the Jews are God's enemies, on your account. But from the standpoint of God's selection, they are dear to him, on account of the patriarchs. For God never regrets his gifts or his call. Just as you at one time were disobedient to him, but have now found mercy in the day of their disobedience, so too they have now become disobedient in your day of mercy, in order that they also, in their turn, may now find mercy. For God has given all alike over to disobedience, that to all alike he may show mercy. O oh, the unfathomable wisdom and the knowledge of God! How inscrutable are his judgments! How untraceable his ways! Yes, who has ever comprehended the mind of the Lord, who has ever become his counsellor, or who has first given to him, so that he may claim a recompense? For all things are from him, through him and for him, and to him be all glory for ever and ever. Amen. End of chapter 6 through 11